The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. So today's scripture reading is going to be found in Romans chapter 3, verses 31 through chapter 4, verses 25. It's a long scripture reading, so it may be easiest to follow along on the Bibles provided under the seats or on the one you brought yourself. That being said, it will be on the screen behind me, so you can follow along there. Starting in verse 31. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages, but believed as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Is this blessing then only for the, for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, and to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but, all, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope, that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver, considering the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, 
fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. This has been the reading of God's word. You can all be seated. So we're in our series on Romans. It's called How the Gospel Changes Everything or The Gospel Changes Everything. That what is the gospel and how does the gospel change everything? And that's our assertion in going through this book together is that it is only the gospel that is able to change and to fix what is broken. It's, if, if you personally, if you feel broken, if you feel stuck, if you feel like you can't get your stuff together, if you feel like you're messed up, if you feel like you were marred by your background, maybe you had a really tough upbringing or you've made some bad decisions yourself and you find yourself in a situation that maybe sometimes it feels like it's the making of other people, sometimes it feels it's like your own making, whatever the situation that you're in, if you feel I'm broken, I'm messed up, I can't get my stuff together, it is only the gospel of Jesus Christ that is offered to, for, to actually change lastingly you for the good. Have you tried to change things on your own? It doesn't last very long. Uh, your, your marriage or your family that's messed up, your relationships, our, our uh, society, our nation, our world, everything that is broken with it is, what the, is the one thing, the only thing that can answer, the only thing that can fix it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what Paul's been doing, he starts off the book, but it starts off the letter by saying, all right, first of all, God is God whether you acknowledge him or not. Uh, that, and that's the truth. Like, there are some inconvenient truths in life, right? So whenever I hear my alarm go off in the morning and, and I, I think like, man, I'm just gonna roll over and go to sleep. But, and I might do that a couple of times, you know, the snooze button, snooze button, but I know that nobody's gonna get up for me and take my daughter to school. Uh, when I'm supposed to be meeting somebody for a meeting that morning, so, so we have, a, as a staff, we're going on a, a, a trip on Tuesday, and we're supposed to be meeting at the office at 5.45 a.m. to go on this trip, this day trip, up and back to Columbia. And, and I know whenever that alarm goes off, I'm going to want to go back to sleep, but I know the inconvenient truth is if I don't get up, nobody's going to get up for me. Nobody's going to go there. That's the inconvenient truth. And God is God, whether I want to acknowledge it or not. It is just True is true is true. It's like, it's like gravity. I could ignore it at my own peril, but that is true no matter what. God is God, Paul says. And then after that, he says that every person, every person is equally guilty of worshiping and serving something or someone other than God. Every person, whether you're religious or not. There are people who are really good people and they keep the rules or they grew up around Christianity or they grew up in a religion and they're actually pretty good people, but they, have, they are equally sinners before God just as the pagan who's running away. And it doesn't matter whether we acknowledge he's true or not. It doesn't matter whether we want to believe it or not. That is true. We are all equally guilty whether we want to believe it or not. And then he says, because we are all equally guilty, he says we are all under the judgment or the wrath of God. Every single one of us equally, whether we want to believe it or not, whether we want to accept it or not. And he kind of lays on, we were weeks in that, right? And then he turned the corner in the last chapter, Romans 3 and 23 and 24. He said, and for all have sinned, 
So he's kind of summing up what he's been saying. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He's saying you're far worse off than you ever thought you were. Verse 24, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ as a gift to us. And then, so we, we got to the point where we said, all right, well, that's cool. That's good news. We're all sinners. We can be justified by grace, but how does that happen? That's what David, and isn't it good to have him on the team? That's what David went through last week in verses 27 through 30 of chapter three, where he, he said, basically, the way that happens is by faith. We are justified by grace alone, nothing else. Nothing else can justify us before God. It is only by faith that we can be justified. And now, as we get to this point in the letter, the, the church in Rome would have had some questions, and we should have the same questions too. So they said, all right, we're all sinners. We're all under the wrath of God. We can all be, we can all be justified by grace through faith. All right, that, it happens by faith. But the question is now, all right, well, who is that faith? Let's say, for whom is that faith? Because that's not how any, most of us in this room talk, though that is proper. Who is that faith for? If we are justified by faith, who is that faith for? That's what, the, that's what we should all be thinking. Who is that faith for? And then the second thing we should be asking is, how does that faith work? Or, or what does that faith actually do? And that's what Paul is getting to as he's sort of, it's kind of repeating, it's kind of applying. All right, if this is what I've been saying, this is, we can be justified by grace through faith. He's going to now apply and show us like how a little bit, how does that work? And who is it for? Who is it for as the Roman church will be asking and as we should be asking ourselves. Beginning of, well, we'll start at the end of chapter three and then beginning of chapter four. We're not gonna read this whole chapter. We've already read it together. We're gonna be skipping a stone over the top of this as we roll through very quickly, at least for me. Do we then overthrow this law by faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. He's talking about the law that was given to the Jews. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? So the Jews who have been, who have been reading this letter, hearing Paul's gospel, they'd be saying, hey, what about, like, what was this whole, like, Abraham thing and the promise that was given to Abraham that you're going to, God was going to bless Abraham and his heirs and through his heirs, he was going to bless the world that, and then like David comes along and he says, yes, and I'm going to make a king that's going to come from David and he's going to rule not only my people, but he's going to rule the entire world and his throne is going to be established forever. Like the, the Jews would have been thinking and waiting for this and they're, they're hearing Paul say that by salvation comes by grace through faith. And now they're saying, well, what about Abraham? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Uh, now, as, we're, as they're asking this question, who this faith is for, the, the Jews, as they would have been hearing this, they would have thought, uh, they had come to the point where they believed, all right, Abraham, God saw Abraham and he was a really good guy. Isn't that how we often think about like, like guys that we see God use in scripture, right? People that we see God use in scripture. Even throughout history, say, all right, Abraham was a good guy. God looked around the earth and he said, man, I need to find somebody I'm gonna bless. Hey, this Abraham over here, he, he's a good guy. I'm gonna pick him out because he's a good guy and, and I'm gonna bless him because, he's being a, because he is such a great upstanding citizen. 
He's such a great, upstanding guy. He, he loves me. He tries to follow me. He tries to not do the bad things. He tries to do good things. And so, man, I'm going to bless him because of that. And so because of that, man, I'm going to tell him, hey, I'm going to bless you. And so now you need to get circumcised, which, by the way, is a, as an adult would be a pretty difficult thing to, to hear. Like this is the, what you have to do in order to, to walk with me. As he tells Abraham, you need to be circumcised. And we won't get into that, but, man, that would be not like super exciting news. So Abraham gets circumcised. And they would have thought, hey, Abraham was blessed because God told him you need to get circumcised, and he did it. So he kept God's, he followed after God. He was a good guy. He, he did what God told him to do with circumcision. So therefore, God picked him and said, hey, through you, I'm gonna bless the entire world. But, but the truth is that, that that's not exactly the situation. You see, Abraham wasn't that great a guy. Uh, we have multiple times, we can't go through them all because we have to roll, but there's multiple times we see Abraham sin. And I just want to raise like two times that he, that he, so he was going through one time going through Egypt because he was sojourning around. God told him to go, I'm going to send you to my land, but I need you to go around for a while. And so he's going through and he goes through Egypt and he says, Sarah, you are so, his wife, Sarah, you are so beautiful. You are so amazingly gorgeous that I'm afraid that the princes and the powerful people in Egypt are going to see you. They're going to want you for your own. And if they know that, you're, that I'm your husband, they're going to kill me. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell them that you're my sister. And so she does that and they take him and Pharaoh brings her into his household as one of his wives. And then a curse comes up. So, guys, so he, he whored out his wife, just in case you're, not, you're missing what happened here. Can I say that in church? Did I just get kicked, kicked out? He, he whored out his own wife. I'm sorry, kids who are here. Uh, he, he whored out his, his own wife because... He was afraid he was going to get killed because of it. A, a curse comes upon Pharaoh's household. Pharaoh finds out what's going on. He says, why didn't you tell me? Not only did he do that once, he did it again. Another time he went through a kingdom, he told her the same thing. And by the way, how amazingly beautiful did Sarah have to be? Because she's not like 20 years old at this time. She is well into life. So we'll just leave that there. But this is the kind of guy that Abraham is. He is not a particularly great guy. He is a sinner. He's a mortal. He's a human being, just like everybody else, just like all of us in this room. He wasn't chosen because he was great and he was awesome. He was chosen because God simply chose him. Look at what it says about it. It says, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. If, Abraham, if it was that Abraham was such a great guy and he was keeping the law of God and he was such a, a man, he was just, he was nailing, he was, he was doing great at life and that's why God chose him, then he would have a reason to be proud. He would have a reason to boast. But you know what Paul is saying here? That faith humbles the proud. Faith humbles the proud because it comes to us and says, it is not by your works. It is nothing that you can do, nothing that you can earn, no matter how great you think you have been, no matter how bad you've been, the proud, and, and if either way. Faith humbles the proud. In, in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this, even that faith, is not of your own doing. You ever thought about that? How did you get saved? Have you ever thought about it? Why are my family members 
My dad today is not walking with the Lord. And I grew up in church. He was going to the same church as I was. We were around the same circle. And I have to wonder, like, why? Why did I hear the gospel and I've responded? But he's over there and he hasn't responded. You ever thought about that? Why your friends and family members haven't responded like you have? Is it because you're smarter and have it more together? You're a better person than they are? No. That faith itself, if we have faith in Christ, is a gift of God. Here's why it says, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. God has designed faith, the kind of saving faith, in such a way that nobody can boast about it. Because here's the truth, faith isn't for the good. Faith isn't for the good people. I've had some people before around like at work and other places and they say, you know, Randy, I know that you're in religion and you're all about Jesus, but you're, you're a good guy. And so that's why you're like, you're into religion, you're into Christianity, you're into this Jesus guy because you're a good guy. But this actual passage tells us that God doesn't call the good, he calls the ungodly. Did you see that? Hear this, Abraham believed God, verse three, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. He starts what we talking before. If you earn, if, you, if it's your works, then you earn it. But he has decided, God has decided that salvation would not be earnable. It's, we cannot earn it. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him, who, here's this, hear this, who justifies the ungodly by faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed or blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Do you hear that? Faith is not for the good, it is for the bad. God doesn't call the good, God calls the bad and he makes them good. And accepting that we are not good, that we cannot earn our way in, that we cannot earn our righteousness with God or with man, that we can't be justified, we can't make myself right or good, smart enough, good enough on my own, it has to come from God, humbles all of us, but it's a welcome news for all of us who accept the fact that we are weak and we are poor and we are weary that we are naked and we are blind. Do you know how you enter into the kingdom of God? It's not by trying to be good, it's by accepting I am nothing, I am sinful, I am bad, I'm broken apart from somebody coming in and helping me. If you're here today, I don't know what you have done and I don't know where you have been. I don't know the things that you have seen the thoughts that you've had. I know things that I've seen, things that I've done, thoughts that I've had, and they're pretty bad. But it's only, here's the good news, if you are terrible as a person, you qualify for the grace, and it is only for the ungodly. And that's a scandalous truth. God justifies the ungodly. That's who justification and righteousness is for, not for the good, but for the bad. 
Not for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. Not for the godly, because nobody is. It's for the ungodly, and we're all in that same boat. And it's only as we accept our weakness and our vileness, our brokenness, our sinfulness, our just being under the wrath of God, it is only in that place that we find something. We find grace. We find faith in Christ possible. It's not possible before them. If you've been around church, you might have been around church for a couple of months, a couple of years, a couple of decades, and you're like mixing in your works in with the works of Christ. You're like, hey, I'm pretty good. I'm like, I'm like 65% good, and Christ fills in the last 35%. You probably haven't experienced regeneration because it's only regeneration that takes us to the place that says that I'm not 65 or 35 or even 5%. I'm zero on the scale, and God provides 100% for me. And that's all that I can put my faith and trust in. You hear that? Faith is only for the, is not for the good, it's for the bad. And it's faith that makes us righteous. That's a scandalous thing. Do you hear that? It's by faith is counted to us as righteousness. You hear that? That simply by saying, I am a terrible person. God, you provided for me through through Christ, all that I need, I'm resting in him. And you know what happens? That actual move counts as righteousness. Faith equals righteousness. That faith is counted to us as righteousness. And you hear that? Verse seven, even in verse six, it says, that are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, one to whom God counts righteousness apart from the works. He says, verse seven, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. And verse eight, he said, blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count as sin. You know what he's saying? That word blessed means happy or fortunate or happier. It's really comparison saying happier than anyone else is the man to whom God doesn't count his sin any longer. Faith brings us a new source of joy because we see I didn't earn it. I can't earn it. I have no place apart from on myself. I have no place apart from Christ, but faith rests in the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf as being sufficient for me. And when that happens, I brings a joy in our soul. It's the kind of joy as Dale was talking about that, that pushes through even through sadness. Paul says whenever someone passes away, when someone dies, that we mourn as Christians, but we do not mourn as those who have no hope. There's a hope, there's a joy that is living underneath our sadness. It lives beneath our mourning. It lives beneath our brokenness. Why? Because we know it doesn't depend upon me. It doesn't depend upon anything anybody else around me does. It only depends upon the finished work of Jesus Christ on my behalf. That faith, what Paul is saying, is that faith is for the ungodly. And then he says that faith brings us into a new heritage. It brings us into a new family, is what he's saying. So, so they would have been thinking, all right, this, this faith, if God's going to provide a way of salvation by faith through grace, then it has to be for the, the heirs, the actual heirs, the physical heirs of Abraham. Those are God's chosen people. So it has to be for those heirs who have walked with God. It's God's chosen people. It's God's covenant people. They've carried the covenant sign of circumcision throughout generation after generation after generation. It has to be for those people. But he says, he blows it 
out of the water. He says that Abraham received the sign of circumcision as a seal, verse 11, of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without circumcision. So here's what he's saying. He's saying the reward of justification can't be earned and that through our putting faith in Christ, that us being justified by grace through faith alone, it says that we are brought into the family of God. We're brought into the family of Abraham, that the heirs of Abraham, God made a promise to Abraham that through Abraham, all the nations of the world will be blessed. He made a promise to Abraham that basically that he was gonna inherit the earth and that promise is to everyone who places faith and trust in Jesus Christ, not to those who are simply the bloodline of Abraham. Faith makes us heirs of the promise. And here's what that means. That means that your standing before God and before anybody else is not according to your lineage. You might say, hey, I didn't grow up in church. I don't understand a lot of the things that we're talking about or even singing about a lot of times. I'm still trying to figure this whole thing out. I'm not sure I, I fit here. I'm not sure I, I, I know enough. I'm not sure I'm smart enough. I'm around you guys. You guys know a lot of the Bible and I don't even know what the Old Testament and New Testament is. I don't know how to find Matthew. I don't understand what propitiation means or even this backstory about this Abraham guy. I don't understand an heir of the promise as Billy Graham was. The person who has done horrendous deeds, who placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, is as much an heir of the promise as Mother Teresa, or here's to blow your mind, or Jesus Christ himself. Because it's his work on our behalf that secures it. You are an heir of the promise. Picture that he's pointing in here when he talks about the, the law down in verse 13 through 14 and 15. And he's saying, like, what, is, what does the law actually do for the believer? Well, first of all, the law, God's righteous commands, shows us the right way to live and the wrong way to live, and it shows us just how wrong that we are. But then, when you place your faith in Jesus Christ and you are regenerated, the law becomes something different. It's not commands pressing upon you, but it's something that springs out of you. Notice back in verse 31 of chapter three, he says, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? He says, by no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. What he's saying is the power for any person to live a, a life that pleases the Lord is through God's work on our behalf and then the change that happens in our soul that starts to work and change the way that we think and the way that we act so that our actions begin to actually correspond to what God is commanding us to do. And we find it, it's resulting not from a command above us but from a heart change within us. It, it works through love, faith, is for the ungodly. Faith gives a new heritage or a new family. And lastly, he says, faith endures hopelessness. 
down in verse 17. He talks about the promise that God gave to Abraham. I've made you the father of many nations. And it says that Abraham held that faith. It says, in the God in whom he believed who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. It says that Abraham, in hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told. He didn't weaken in faith when he considered his own body. That was as good as dead. He was like, Abraham was an old man at this time. He was saying that he had no promise to be a father. It was impossible physically. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Hear this. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Faith glorifies God and faith trusts in God's nature and his work and that's what allows us to endure hopelessness when we look around. And here's how that works. So the, back earlier in this chapter when he said that uh, Abraham believed God in verse three and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's a quote from Genesis 15, six. And that's when God comes to Abraham and he's already appeared to him once and he's told him, hey, I'm gonna make of you many nations. Here's my promise. You're gonna be my chosen man. Out of you is gonna come all blessing. And now I want you to go and journey and sojourn. And now Abram has been, before he's even named Abraham, he's been journeying and sojourning and nothing's happened. Sarah hasn't gotten pregnant. Nothing has physically happened that shows that what God has said is going to come true, but Abraham continues to trust and believe and hope. But now God comes to him again, and he says, I've told you, you're gonna be the father of many nations. And Abraham says, how do I know this is gonna be true? How can I know that I can trust you? How can I know that this is actually going to happen? And then Abraham he speaks to him again, and it says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteous. And here's what happened. God says, I'm gonna make a covenant with you and here's what I want you to do. Because at this point, they didn't sign, people on earth didn't sign contracts with each other. They'd make covenants. And here's what they would do. They would take a, an ox or a goat or a, or a sheep or something and they would cut the animal in half and they would lay it on either side. And then the two people that were making the promise would walk between the two halves of the carcass. Hey, that's pretty good, huh? This is awesome stuff to hear on Sunday morning. They'd walk between these two carcasses and it was their way of saying, if I don't uphold my end of this covenant, may it be to me as it is to these, this carcass. May I be drawn and cut in two if I do not abide by this covenant. And so God tells Abraham, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get a heifer I want you to get a goat, and I want to get you to get, a, I believe, a sheep. And then I want you to get two birds, and I want you to cut the three livestock in half and kill the birds and lay them out. So Abraham would have known. He's a man, he's a powerful, rich man. He would have known exactly what God is saying. God is saying there's going to be a covenant. And I'm sure Abraham was expecting God's going to say, here's what, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to bless you if you're going to keep this covenant and you're gonna follow me, I want you to walk between these carcasses as a sign of the covenant, as a seal that you are gonna keep your end. But here's actually what happened. It says that 
a deep sleep and a deep darkness came over Abraham. And then a flame or a torch and a smoking pot or a cloud passed through the carcasses in front of Abraham. You want that meant? God was saying, I'm the one who's gonna keep this covenant, not you. It's not of your works, lest you should boast. It is all of my work. Do you know how we as believers are to have faith and to endure in the, even in the middle of hopelessness? Do you know how we do that? It's not saying, hey God, I'm gonna try to be better today. God, I sinned yesterday. I haven't read my Bible in three weeks. Uh, I'm tr trying to act like I've got it together, but I'm a mess. I'm gonna try today, starting tomorrow. We're gonna start a new day. We're gonna do this. How do, I, how do we have a faith that endures and pushes through sinfulness and pushes through hopelessness and pushes through grief and pushes through even when nothing around us looks hopeful? Do you know how? Because it's based upon God's work on our behalf and not ours. Here's the end of this chapter and this good news. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but who believe in him. It will be counted to us who believe in him. Hear the wording of this. Who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. What in this, what in this section do you see that we do? What, what is our role in this? It's very little. It says that he was raised from the dead, who he delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. It's his work on our behalf, not our work. So here's how we endure in the midst of hopelessness, in the midst of our own sinfulness, in the midst of looking around and not knowing how we're gonna make it. You know how? By saying, he did this for me. And if he did it, he will see it to the end. And that's counted to us as righteousness, just as it was to Abraham. I trust in God's work on my behalf and not on my own. Now what should that make us do? That should make us, what we, all that we can do is try to be, as a church, as a people, be incredibly diligent about putting Christ in his work, in his nature, in his character in front of our eyes as much as we possibly can. It should be reminding ourselves that it's not my work that does anything, that the only way I can get good works is to see him for all that he has done and let the response come from joy and love back to him. It should mean that whenever we gather together, we shouldn't be saying, hey, here's what I need to do. I need to be a better person. Or here's what you need to do. You need to be a better person tomorrow. It should be saying, do you remember? Do you remember what he did for you? Do you remember all that he is for you whenever you are ter a terrible person? Do you remember how he promised that he would uphold you and he would keep you? Do you remember how the finished work of Jesus is our assurance? It's not how I feel today. It's the finished work of Jesus that's my assurance that we're gonna make it to the end. I have doubts. I'm hurting. 
I'm not sure if I can make it. I don't have a great track record. But you know who does? God. And through the work of Jesus on our behalf, he assures us that we will make it as well. And that's what we celebrate, church. We come together and we take the cracker and the juice in communion. We're not pledging, God, I'm coming to you and I promise you I'm gonna be better tomorrow. God, I'm coming to you, I promise you I'm gonna be better today. God, I promise you I'm not gonna do that thing again. I promise you I'm gonna be faithful to you. We're coming saying, you were faithful to the point of death and I trust that you will take me to the end. Isn't that good news, church? So here, for all who are ungodly, for all who are unjust, for all who are weary and tired of trying to hold it all together, for all who are sad and full of grief, about to lose the last bit of hope they have, for those who are holding on to the last rope, for those who can't fix their marriages or their families or their relationships, to those, Jesus Christ offers himself. Fall upon me and I'll take you to the end.